continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked him, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, Is it not our custom here to give the younger daughter, uh, the younger daughter in marriage before the older one? Finish the, this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Laban did so. He finished the week with Leah, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. 
All right, guys, so uh, if you're new here, what we, we were doing is we're going through Genesis right now. We go through books of the Bible in our body, um, and this is where we are right now. Um, again, when it, earlier in the chapters, you know, I was able to sort of just give you a brief snapshot. We're in chapter 29 now, so that would take pretty much our whole time to give you a snapshot from chapter 1 to chapter 28. So I'm not going to do that. I want to encourage you that you can go on our website and you can download any uh, of the sermons, uh, hopefully to catch you up to speed on what's going on in Genesis um, particular, though, in chapter 29, uh, we're going to jump right in. I want you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to look up here on stage and we get this little clicker out. I'm going to jump right into some text here. Uh, I want to give you uh, sort of an overview in the sense of, of what seems to be happening in the context of this passage that we've just read, guys, okay? Um, so you have major, we have probably these two big main scenes that we're going to look at. Uh, this is a very interesting passage, and I tell you, there's some parts in it that I, you know, I talked to Sarah, I'm like, you know, I want to make sure I don't get in trouble on a few of these parts, and you guys know how, how it can be with me up here, and some of the homies are going, what is he going to say? And a lot of times my wife is going, what is he going to say? And so we'll, we'll see um, how things go. Hopefully some of my future elders can keep me in line. But um, so what's happening here is very interesting. I think this, chapter 29 is a passage which we, we can all identify with, which I would say all the canon we can. Specifically here, uh, you have a process of sanctification that's starting to happen. Now, I say that because when you look at chapter 28, now there's many, there's many debates here. Uh, I propose to you that in chapter 28, it seems that something happens radically to Jacob. I don't know if he's just simply rededicating his life to the Lord. I think he actually comes to the Lord in chapter 28. Look at the verse. Look what he says. Um, he says in verse 21, it, t- verse 21 and 22 in chapter 28. You see that? You guys turn there. It says there, um, he's talking to, to God and he's, he's sharing with God. I'll just even go up to 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, clothes to wear uh, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up uh, as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There seems to be a context of focused worship and a clear declaration. Now, if you disagree with me, that's totally cool. I think at least we can all submit and say that at this point, there seems to be, we, even if you thought he was a believer or you didn't, we all know at this point he seems to have, have identified himself with Yahweh, right? So that's where we are at this stage. Now, what's very interesting, uh, that's where he's at. And what you might think is, oh, so he's going to be straight now. He's, you know, he's a believer. He's going to just be walking with the Lord. And we're going to see him mess up three or four more times in crazy, ridiculous ways, which I think should actually encourage everybody in this room um, as we are trusting Christ for our salvation, not our perfection. So, um, so, so we have this Jacob guy now who's made this affirmation to the Lord, and this, now we're going we're gonna to sort of hone in on this story in chapter 29. All right, let's jump right into it. Okay, so he starts off in verse 1. I think this is a hilarious story. So let me just get And if you don't have a Bible, you can look up here. I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, 
Then Jacob continued now uh, on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. Uh, just this whole sense of continued means something because, uh, and, and, and Leah talked about it uh, last week. So you got, here's Jacob. He has just been a super nutball, right? He has been a, super, a liar, a cheat. He's been uh, very suspicious in his um, character. Uh, he basically, you know, got his birthright from his brother. So his brother's birthright, um, I mean, he, he lied to his dad, uh, and now he's basically burnt all kind of bridges, all right, all throughout his life so far. And so you find himself basically running. That's what this whole continuum piece is kind of running because he's like, I'm kind of left out here. I don't know what to do. And he's trying to find, like, where is a safe haven? Where can I go? In a nutshell. And that's what we're going to see here. And that's why he actually ends up at the Laban place because mama said, hey, well, go to, to my family. Uh, hopefully they won't kill you because everybody else wants to kill you. All right. So it says, there he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were uh, watered from that well. Uh, it says uh, uh, the stone over the mouth uh, of the well was large. Now, there's a reason why the author is giving you these different snapshots to understand what's going on. So you got this huge well and you got all these sheep and you got this huge stone. So the question you ask, so why is there a huge stone over the well? Well, because what would happen is that they didn't want, they didn't want the, the, the well to get infected, right? If you left the well open the whole day, maybe an animal would fall into it and die, uh, you know, or, or people can get hurt. Uh, so they wanted to keep the well as clean as possible. So you rolled it out, you let the animals drink, and then you put it back, right? So that's, that was the whole rock piece. Uh, it says, um, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, would roll the stone away from the whale's mouth in the water and water the sheep. Don't miss that. So this this stone was super huge, right? It was a huge stone. And he's not this is not just a genitive sense when he says the shepherds, apostrophe as this is shepherds as in probably a few shepherds it took to try and usually unroll the stone. So they would all come together and a few shepherds would unroll the stone and all their sheep would come hang out. So that I think I think that's there's a funny parallel to that in a moment. So it usually takes a few. Okay, uh, verse four, Jacob asked uh, the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? Uh, we're from Haran. They replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? So he's kind of trying to like fill them out. Uh, have you seen my my mom's relatives? Do you know, is he still alive? Uh, you know, can I can I go kick it with him? Can I stay there kind of deal? Can I freeload? Because that's basically been the theme of his life the whole time. Yes, yes, we know him. They answered in verse six. Uh, then Jacob asked. Then Jacob asked, is he well? Is he still alive? Uh, yes, he is, they said. And look at this. this I love this. So, like, so, yeah, yeah, he's alive. But here comes his daughter. Dun, da, 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 dun, 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 dun. Rachel, right? So now, yes, he's still alive. And it says, and here comes his daughter, Rachel, um, with the sheep. I'm going to do it the thing. So he says, look, he said, is in Jacob, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. And they say, we can't. I mean, turn actually get you guys. And they say in verse eight, we can't, they reply, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Uh, get to verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel comes over um, with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So, all right. So they haven't described Rachel yet, but what you do know is that Rachel's on the scene now, um, and she has sheep. Now, what does that mean? That means Rachel got dough. 
all right? Because, right, right, that's like some girl, right, you, you hanging out, and some girl come up, but she didn't just come up, she pulls up in an Escalade, all right? You're like, man, she cute and she got cheese, right? That's, so that's the thought, right? She got money, she seems to have, she has resources, all right? And we're going to obviously see in a moment uh, that, that she's not hard on the eyes. So check this out. Where are we at here? Okay. So he says, um, she, she's a shepherdess. And uh, let me make sure I've lost my place here. Watch this. Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. Verse 10. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep. Check this out. I love this. He went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. You see that? So what did he do? He shows off, right? He, he, he did the man thing, right? That's it, right? So, so basically, so he sees this girl. Now, I mean, he's like, oh. And he goes over to this huge stone that I'm proposing. Obviously, people usually just didn't roll it over. They probably had to roll it. Probably it was a pretty heavy stone. And he goes over and he says, in front of all the guys who he has no sheep, you got all these guys who have sheep. They need to roll the stone over too. He said, no, no, no. This is a sweet honey. I'm going to do this. You got the sheep right here with the sheep. He goes, right, he rolls over the stone, kind of showing off, kind of like, wow, I'm, look at me. I'm going to do this thing, right? And so he rolls away um, this, this stone, and then um, he begins to water her sheep. But then what's, what's hilarious is after he does that, it says, then Jacob kissed her. Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, I know you have greet each other with a holy kiss. Um, I don't know exactly what this means. I just think it's very interesting that he rolls away the stone waters her sheep, then he kisses her, but then he, then he begins to weep aloud. And so he begins to cry out and tell her his story. So I'm just picturing this, right? I'm picturing, so he tried to show off at first. He rolls over the stone. He goes over. Okay, I'm thinking he probably, I mean, okay, now, now remember, he thinks she's cute, all right? He thinks she has money. So maybe it was a holy kiss, you know, my dear sister. I don't know. I think he probably held on maybe a little longer than usual. I don't know. But I don't know. But I'm just saying, um, he goes over kissing her, and then he gives her the sob story, right? He starts to weep aloud. And so the sense of the ones are like, ah! It was more like, he was like, oh, all this stuff is happening to me. So he's like getting her to sort of feel for him. This is, I, just think this is, um, I just think this brother got some good game, even though he is, he is kind of shady. He's playing it to the max. Um, and so he weeps, he weeps and stuff, and he says uh, in verse 12, Make sure you guys are, are there. I'll stay here. It says, he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. And so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news, now you remember we talked about Laban. Uh, Laban is super shysty, right? He um, is a super manipulator, and we're going to see that in a moment. Uh, a man of, of serious bad character. And it says, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. You're thinking, Laban's not so bad. Look how kind he is. He's caring for him. He's making sure he's okay. I'm proposing, I think a lot of you guys, if you did this, I would get it. You guys have great character. I would embrace it. You know, have you ever had that sometimes, someone being kind of too nice to you? And you're like, what's your angle, bruh? You ever had that? I I wonder if this is one of those times, because look where Jacob ends up. So he uh, embraced him, kissed him, brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all the things, basically probably retold the story that he just told Rachel. Uh, then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. After Jacob uh, had stayed with him for a whole month, 
Um, I'm sorry. Late. Did you hit it? Okay, now I got it. Don't do it, please. Um, after, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Okay, let's pause. Let's talk about character. So, so Jacob stays with Laban for a whole month, which means he worked for Laban for a whole month. And after a month, Laban got the audacity to go, oh, you want to get paid? See, it doesn't seem like good character to me. Usually when someone works for you, you pay them to work. But right here, it comes off, it's like Laban's like, oh, you know, I don't want you working for nothing because you've been working. So what can I do for you? Right. And he says, tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. OK, this is where. All right. Is there any Leah's in the room? Is anyone named Leah? Amen. Any Leah's? OK, good. All right. Hey, man, look, I'm just the messenger, all right? I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you what's happening. So, so now we get to the part where I don't want to get in trouble, but check this out, guys. Uh, he says he has two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Okay. Leah means cow. Hey, don't be mad at me. I'm just saying. So Leah means cow, all right? And then they, see, why, y'all, why are you shaking your head at me? I'm just telling you what it says. So. And the name of the younger was Rachel. And Rachel means lamb, like you, actually, E-W-E, and like a sense of purity, okay? Um, you guys make your own conclusions. Continue on. It says, verse 17, Leah had weak eyes. See, y'all, y'all, you guys are godly, but I'm just telling you what the, okay. So, so, so I don't, now many commentators can say that means, um, that can mean cross-eyed. That can mean lazy eye. Um, that, that can mean that she wasn't very attractive. Um, I don't know what it means. Y'all, y'all deal with that. Y'all argue about that at Mad Group. She had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, the sad reality here is the Bible shows that the sad reality is that people are judged by their external appearance many times. And, and what's interesting to me, this is just a caveat, um, I, just think, I just think it's hilarious how um, I think people can have worse time in life uh, based on external appearance. Um, I really, I, I'm, this, is, this, again, this is not theology, I'm just talking about practical living. Uh, it's funny to me when you, when you see a very uh, beautiful girl or uh, a very attractive girl and she'll act like she, many times in society, that she, can ha- that, that she has it as hard as a, an unattractive, uh, heavyset girl. Um, but, I'm, but I want to propose uh, that our society, is, because we're a fallen people, uh, we really look at the external appearance a lot of times and, and that really uh, it can dictate the the trajectory or lack thereof of a person's life. And I want to also propose that's one of the reasons why you and I are born again, so that when we do see that, we can speak against it. We can give the mic and speak for those who can't speak for themselves because they might be placed in the margins of society because this is so normal. Okay? Um, 
And so, so, so here's the deal. So Jacob, obviously, the text is letting you know, I mean, he didn't know her well, so it's not like he just loved her godly character, but because she was super fly, had some sheep, all right, uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you uh, seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. All right, so this is, he said, what's your price? Here's what I do for you. I work seven years. Now, here's another part of com- another commentary, if, if that's okay, guys. So I love the fact um, that, in, that this is a practical model of a woman, or I propose because layman's greed, but we see a model that I don't think is super theology, but I just think that, that women sell themselves too short in this day and age. And I just love the fact the model of this dude working seven years uh, to show his love for this woman. Uh, now, again, don't come to me and go, where do you get that in text? This is his commentary. All I know is we're in a society today where we have women selling themselves for absolutely nothing. And actually, um, and, and, and what I see a lot of times, and I, and I have it even as, I, even as I pastor, I'll have women who will project themselves on guys. Uh, and they'll start it they'll, they'll, they, because, they because they don't know that they're valuable enough for a guy to fight for them. I don't know what the lie is, but they'll go, I don't know, whatever the lie is, instead of having a guy fight for them and say, no, you're worth my time, you're worth my care, you're worth me pursuing you, uh, you throw yourselves at the guy, give him nothing to work for, which, by the way, that's why you have a diary. The seven-year thing here, let me tell you what that is. That's basically a ghetto diary, a di- diary, right? Basically, he's broke. Now, his daddy had mad money, had a ton of money, but he sends him out. He's totally broke. And because he has no money, he says, what I'll do is I'll work and I'll show you I'll show you my worth through my work. Because, see, what happens is a diary, you'll say, oh, you love my daughter. You're real serious. Give me 20 grand. Let me see. Let me see. Give me 20 grand and then I might let you hang out with her. Right. Because my daughter is worth that much. My daughter is worth you saying, man, I got three grand, but I'm going to work. I'm going like I'm going to live in my car. Right. I'm going to eat pork and beans every day. But I'm going to get I'm going to get this cash because I'm in love with this girl. Right. And when you see a dude do that for your daughter, he's probably worthy to marry her. You follow me? Right. And so, and so that's the whole point of, diary, of a diary. And, I, and I, so I'm amazed. I just want to encourage the women in this body, like, don't sell yourself short. If a guy does not want to fight for you, I don't think you want to be with that guy. If he just kind of says, well, you know, you just come and uh, come hang with me and, you know, well, maybe I like you, maybe I don't. Man, don't, don't sell yourself that short. You're worth being fought for. You're worth. I, we, I have people in our body, I, you know, I catch that, man, they, they want to be engaged. I mean, I got cats eating, eating nothing, saving every dime they got. I mean, just to, just to say, hey, I love this girl enough. I got to get this ring. I'm going to do everything I can to get this ring. See, that, see that, that, models, that models someone saying, you're, you're serious enough for me to sacrifice for. That's the whole point of a diary. It, wasn't, it was not just this weird tradition it was to model to the dad, oh, that this man, he'll get a job for my girl. He'll work for my girl. He'll be on time for my girl. He models responsibility through this job. He's modeling dedication. He's modeling commitment. The point of all those things was to model character. I know that's a little far. I just thought I would talk to the women for a little bit. So let's get back to the text. 
All right. Um, so he so he says, look, I'm broke, but man, she's so fly. I worked seven years for you, bro. Okay, you continue on. It says Laban said, okay, well, it's better uh, that I give her to you than to some other man. Okay, so so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. I love this, but this is this is a hallmark line. Okay, ladies, and and this is this is a key. I love this. This. This should be the mode of operation for the man that wants to marry you. And if it's not, you should, I don't know. You, I pray the Lord change his heart, but I'm telling you, you want somebody who's on the fire for you. Look what this dude says. It says, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. He worked seven years. And it said, he just working. He's like, it's all right. I'm going to get Rachel. Seven years. It says it seemed like a few days because of his passionate love for her. There's something very beautiful about that. I think at worst, if you don't teach us this doctrine, we can at least practically say, does that show you like how how the Lord wanted women to be valued in the sense of love and care? Can we agree to that? My goodness. Don't settle. Um, Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, I love this. So uh, (laughs) I love this. Give me my wife. My time is complete. And I want to lie with her. So let, me t- so let me tell you, all the fellas in the room, if you felt like this or you felt like this on your wedding day, it is totally biblical. All right? If you like, I said I do, put the corned beef down, put the food down. I want my girl. Let's go. Totally biblical. Don't feel bad. You get married, have that attitude. Hallelujah. All right? Give me mine. Let's go do this. All right. I'm just saying. That's what the text. That's the Bible. I'm not. So, so he says, so Laban, so this, now this is crazy here. Okay, so um, now there's, there's debate on like when is this time period. So it says, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and he gave a great feast. Okay, uh, the, the, the debate is, is this, is this the time of the wedding? Is this a wedding night? Right? Have they had a celebration? And is this what we're about to see right now? Is this happening during the wedding night? I think we can all agree at, at the least they are hitched at this point. Okay, I'm proposing, I think this is a wedding night because he's having a huge feast. But, but, I, but I'm okay with, if you think, no, it wasn't a wedding night, it was afterwards, but it was right, you know, during after they got married. That's cool. I think it's a wedding night. Um, because of, the play, because of the context, what he's asked for, him providing a feast. Check this out. But when the evening came, so I'm proposing, get married. They're kicking it, right? They're doing, they're doing the shuffle dance. They're doing the thing. Everybody's kicking it. Getting a little, you know, getting their wine on everything. You know, because back in the ancient days, um, they, was, they was clowning with the wine big time. So, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah. So this is, this is Laban. All right. This is the character of Laban, which I propose now actually validates what I was saying earlier about even his intentions was really about him getting a lot of work out of this guy, which he ends up getting almost 20 years of free labor out of this guy. Um, but when evening came, he took 20 or so. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and Jacob lay with her. All right. So so Jacob, it seems for all intents and purposes, it's maybe drunk. Okay, uh, and then the dad tells, says to Leah, now, I'm, now, hey, um, go sleep with him. 
and she sleeps with Jacob. All right, check this out. But then he gets so, I love how he gets, he's so traditional with it. After he does that, which in his mind, what he's done now is said, hey, you're going to be married to Leah. So he gives them, this is part of the tradition. So Laban gives, gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as a maidservant, which is what you did if you had resources and you had a lady who came alongside the woman uh, to help take care of the home when you got married. Okay? So can you imagine that he would do something so, so, so suspect and just disgusting and then get all traditional at the same time, like make it like legal? Just kind of bizarre. Um, okay, this is this one gets crazy. So can you imagine? So imagine a soap opera. You, you know we've seen this. You know y'all watch TV. Don't act like you don't watch ABC. All right. He says, Verse, 20, verse 25, morning comes. All right, Jacob, you know, he's like, man, what a great night. He's, ah! And he finds in the bed, I'll just, all right. <laughs> and so, uh, so he wakes up, and look what it says. It says, um, the morning came, there was Leah. So Leah's in a bed next to Jacob. Can you imagine? And he's like, what? And so he says, so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? So you imagine, he's in his boxes, he's in his you know, underwear, his underwear. He's like, he comes out. What, Laban, what you, what, your, your daughter, man, what you do to me? Look, he says, Laban said, look, I love this, love this, check this out. I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Interesting. All right, we get into some theology here. Okay, what does Jacob's name mean? Deceiver, thank you, deceitful. Wow. Wow, interesting. So wait a minute. Jacob's getting treated the same way he treated other people. Oh, wow. Huh, comes around. He doesn't like it, does he? Got played. Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, I love this. Laban gets, right, he gets biblical on him. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, man, it's not our custom here to give your younger daughter marriage before the older one. Wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going to get a little closer home. Not only does he get revealed to like the very things you do to people are now being done to you. Now you're upset. But guess what? Let's get more specific. Remember, the older was supposed to be blessed before the younger Jacob. Why you want me to bless you with the younger first? Who did that? Oh, when he took the birthright from Esau, the older brother. Wow. You talk about a one-on-one ratio. You talk about a correlation. You talk about a, a smack in the face. Oh my goodness! Can you imagine Jacob sitting there? You, you probably think when you read the text, you think, "Why didn't Jacob just beat him up? Why didn't he say, well, give me that girl. We're going to Vegas.' You know? Why didn't he just elope? Why didn't he just say, okay, I'm gonna do more years with this girl and, and serve Laban? Why? I wonder. He thought, "You got me." How am I going to say something when this is what I've been doing to everybody for years? You got me, man. 
He has absolutely no more high ground to stand on at this point. None. What is he going to say to Laban? He says, verse 27, finish this daughter's bridal week. I love that. Y'all married now, right? <laughs> he just played it. Just, I mean, insult to injury, right? He didn't say, so can you do this? I know it's crazy. Will you take her? Y'all married now. Finish the week. You know what I'm saying? All right? I got you. Too late. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. He started putting demands on them. And then you got to work another seven years, okay? Continues on. And Jacob did show. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maidservant. Uh, Jacob laved Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Um, wow. So, one thing I want to clear up. How many of you guys are sad for Leah? I, that's not like the Jews. <laughs> and so, we have this, I got a bunch of women who are going to beat me up because, um, because uh, uh, our past situation with another woman in the scriptures. And, and uh, so we have Leah here. I want to propose you should not be sad for Leah. Necessarily. Here's why. Everybody like, you better have a good reason, brother. All right. Here's my reason. Because, first of all, did Jacob ever said he loved Leah? Did he ever say, I'm going to marry you, Leah? Did he ever say, I'm going to be dedicated to you, Leah? Did he offer anything to Leah himself? His love was for Rachel. It was Laban and Leah who deceived Jacob. She wasn't drunk. She purposely went in and had sex. Now you might go, well, the daddy made her do it. She could have said no. She could have said how, be, how far be it for me, the woman of God, you know, how did we say in the Old Testament and say, I will not do this thing. Right? And the ladies don't like that. They're like, no, but, but, no, she deceived Jacob. So why should she be encouraged and congratulated for sleeping with a guy who was not in love with her? That's manipulation. Guess what? That's what happens every day in this world right now. This is not far from home. Women manipulate guys all the time by, we're going to see, getting them pregnant, getting them pregnant, by, by continually just putting themselves out there, super initiating with guys who are still wanting to be boys. And then you're mad when they don't love you. How are you going to be mad at him? You shouldn't have manipulated him. Now, does he need to step up as a man? Yes. Right? But I'm proposing if you manipulate a boy and then you want him to be a man, you're not being wise. You manipulated a boy. You're going to get a boy. God might be gracious and eventually make him a man, but you can't presume upon the Lord. And if he stays a boy, don't be mad at God. Because you did not wait and trust your Savior for what's best. And that is a guy to fight for you. Not somebody that you manipulate and drag off. So I'm proposing that everybody's in sin here, guys. We have Jacob with his past issues. 
We got Laban being mischievous. We got we have um, Leah. Everybody is whacked out. And I don't think anyone deserves a medal of honor here. Except God. Jimmy. I am super confused too. Uh, we you see it as you see it as culture. Uh, God does not advocate that behavior, uh, but it happens in history. Jim, my buddy. Good question. I was Rachel aware of the plan. You know what, man? That's that's a hard one. Um, Hmm, I don't know. The text doesn't tell me. Uh, yeah, I have my speculations, but the text doesn't let me know. We know that she is eventually aware because she marries him knowing that he's married to Leah, which to me is, so, is shady too. Versus saying, you know what, you did, that was kind of foul. I'm going to go ahead and find me another man who's going to treat me right kind of deal. But that's so... To that, that, and that's where that's where we deal with cultural. She's saying if they were already married that day, was it up to her? Even though they hadn't they hadn't consummated the marriage and sex, but they had they had if they had been married, which I propose actually in ancient times the consummation was uh, the sexual relations. If they had if they hadn't been uh, if they had already been married, so that's a good point. So maybe, so maybe the issue in her mind is like maybe, she, maybe Rachel's the only one that's going, man. I'm already, I'm already with this brother. Like, what am I gonna do? Um, and you know, yeah, that's, that's that's a good good question. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's straight. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, she gets super, yeah, she does some crazy things, not trusting the Lord. That's a good word. So we're going to see everybody's going to be needing God's grace big time. T? About this scenario? Well, well we're going we're to see that she's going to, we don't hear a lot about the commentary specifically about this action. We will see the commentary about some of the consequences where she can't have kids and Leah can, and there's going to be a lot of drama in the household. Can you, can you imagine? You got two wives. First, that's just jacked up. But now they sisters. Man, you talk about good reality TV. So look. All right. Um, just, yes, sis. He sees that she's not loved and opens her womb. He's gracious, but he's not, he's not encouraging her sin. My issue, my issue, because we're going to see God actually allow Jacob to be the Israel. And so, and so I'm going to get to that. So just because, see, that's the thing. We can't, because God blesses us, doesn't mean he's encouraged by our actions. And what I'm saying is, is, is that he's not, he's not going, he's not sitting there going, oh, man, so I get why you did all these things. This all happened to you. I'm proposing he's gracious. The question is, is it sin for her to sleep with someone uh, that is, is, is not in love with her, that she had no, no relations with. Yes. We all agree there? <laughs> so so that, that's the issue. So, 
So I'm so I think what he does, what God does, he's gracious. And I was going to go and talk about God's sovereignty in a moment, because that's the thing. That's the biggest point of this whole passage. Just for just for the sake of time, let me just let me just let me just focus on one thing real quick for you guys. So so one thing we see a lot of sin here. Okay, we see Laban suspect. We see Leah, Jacob's journey in the past. Um, We see a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, I want us to consider our sin as we think of James 1. The scriptures say, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then at the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Uh, Reality being, uh, so we have sin, God is not, like, sin is happening, and God is not the author of it, is the point. So, so all this stuff that's happening is not because God is orchestrating it in, its, in itself. But what God does is he uses our sin as we consider God's sovereignty. Look at Genesis 50. We'll get there in a few weeks, probably a couple months. And it says, it says, but Joseph said to them, this is a very pinnacle time in the history of uh, Israel. Basically, if this would not have happened, all of Israel would have been wiped out, which would have disparaged the remnant. God would have been a liar. The main reason this happens is to show that God keeps a remnant and he's not a liar. And it says, don't be afraid. Um, am I in the place of God? There's a huge famine. Hey, you tried to kill me. You tried to get rid of me. He says, you intended to harm me. Talking to his brothers, this is Joseph. You intended things to be evil. I love this passage because of a few things. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I love that he says something here. He even talks about not only just the sin, but the heart behind why you did it. He says, like, God ta- God's so good. It's not that he just takes, like, sin, like, just this lofty sin. He takes stuff where you meant it to be evil. Like, you wanted it to be evil and destructive and decreative. It, it, like, in its, na- in its inception, it is purely evil and messed up, our stuff. He says, I take those things and I make them work out for the good of those who love God. That every, his point is that everything that happens is for God to be exalted and for his people to be sanctified. Everything, all the bad, people breaking in your house, stealing your car, husband got to go to jail, all the things that happen to us, God wants to do something in that. Now look at this. So, here, so consider, you consider our sin. We consider God's sovereignty. He's in total control over everything. He's saying, like, you're messed up. You're doing all this stuff. All these things are happening. But I'm still in control. I want to do something. Which, by the way, um, the tribes of Israel come out of, out of these kids that we're going to see out of these, these weird, crazy relationships. Again, God working good out of craziness and sin. Um, but consider our goal. Why does he do all this? Because I'm proposing that in this text here, you're going, where is God? You don't see a lot of God. You don't see God saying stuff in this text here. But he's all laced through it. Uh, It seems like in this text, he's trying to help us see that when you don't see God, God is all there. The sovereignty piece, that God is over and he's in control of all those things that were happening, even though he didn't have to say, and I did this, and I did that, and then I thought this, and then I did this, and I sent him, her, and, and, and sent her here, and he didn't have to do that. He wants us to understand that sometimes he will give us direct commentary about what he is doing in creation, and in those times that he do not give us direct commentary, and we think we're left unto our own plan, doing our own thing, he's saying, I am still directly as involved as when I gave direct commentary. You hear me, family? 
the, the, the passage should encourage us in God's gracious, sovereign hand in the midst of total chaos. Look what it says in the scriptures here. First Peter. So what's the point? What's, what's God doing there? I'm proposing Jacob has this encounter. He, sort of, he comes to the Lord, or at least we, we're, we're affirmed in his faith at this point in Genesis 28. We get to Genesis 29. We have an issue where God begins sanctification 101. What does he do? He exposes Jacob and his character. You see that? He goes off. You got the scene. He's trying to impress the honey. He wants the honey. The guy totally tricks him in the same way that he's tricked other people in the same manner, in the sense of older, younger. Why? Why is this happening? Therefore, when you read this text, you always got to ask yourself, you go to 1 Peter 1, read all the one for me, guys. What's the therefore, therefore? And it's telling you because of God's mercy, because of his goodness, all that he's done for us, uh, the cross and resurrection. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set, hope, uh, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you were not a believer. He says, but just as he who called you holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you read um, 1 Peter and far be it the, the epistles in the scriptures, uh, the, 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 the gospels, what you will see is there is a theme. One of the main reasons why God does all these things in our life when he gives us discipline, when we have hardships, is because God is committed to making you and me holy. Holy, guys, sanctified, set apart. He's committed to it. That's what he's trying to do in you and me. And see, now the thing in our community that we have to really watch out for is twofold. So, so this, we, we're in our community and we're str- people are struggling in our community. And what can happen a lot of times is people can think and we can think as we serve other people that success is to get people out of their situation where sometimes God wants to do something in that situation. The goal in success is not to make people middle-class Christians. The goal in success of what we're doing is for people to see the heart of God. It's for people to become more holy. Holy. And so we find ourselves trying to get people cars and houses and help people in all these different ways. And we have to make sure, guys, that our motives are God-centered, gospel-centered. Sometimes people don't need a car. Sometimes they need to walk so that they can be more holy, understand what they have, save a little, work hard. Sometimes God says, I want you in the mess. And when we find ourselves making the goal of life to always get out of mess, to have just a happy life, we never experience what God has called us to, and that is holiness. And that's why I propose we always have so much drama, because God is committed to our holiness. And so when you try to run from this situation, guess what he's going to do? He's going to put you in another situation. And when you don't ever learn anything from that situation, guess what he's going to do? He's going to put you in another situation until you stop and say, I'll keep running. I will enter to brokenness willingly. Teach me, Lord, and make me holy. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for you and me. And I'm proposing that's why we have so much drama. Because God is saying, I'm trying to do something in that situation. So maybe the issue isn't change your situation. Maybe the issue is God change me.
beautiful passage of the sovereignty of our king and what he's committed to. As this guy says, I belong to you, God. He says, great. Now, let me tell you, this is bigger than you. This is about the world knowing me. And I want to show them a beautiful picture of people who model and bear my image well. And so what I'm going to do, because I'm committed to loving you, I'm going to make you holy. It hit me like a ton of bricks, guys. I was with my honey. We were talking. And, um, and I was like, uh, a situation happened, and we could help somebody. And I thought, hey, let's help this person. You know? And you know, my wife, is, she gives eight, her heart to give is eight times bigger than mine. Okay? So it blew me away when she said, you know, I'm totally cool with that. But what I don't want to do, if God is trying to do something in that situation, I don't want us taking a person out of that. She said that to me without even knowing that I was studying this passage. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, you might be right. Like, am I, do we find ourselves hindering other people's sanctification because we're trying to be the Messiah? God's like, why you do that? I was going to grow that person there. What are you doing? Sometimes we got to be wise. We have to be wise and let the Lord do his thing. Now, all I'm saying is this. Ask yourselves, why are we doing what we do? In our lives. And guys, I'm telling you, if you're not wanting this, if you're not committed to this, if you're going, I, I like Jesus and the salvation and stuff, I don't want to be holy, I don't want to be sanctified, I don't, want to, I don't really want all of this, it's not my thing. You don't even get the gospel. You don't get what's going on here. I don't know if you're saved. Because this is part and parcel of what it means. To understand the recipient, being a recipient of the blood. The beauty, the beauty of the gospel is he's made us perfect in Christ. And he's making us perfect in Christ. He's doing it, guys. That is, that is good news. That is restful. That is fun. We can free ourselves and say, do your work. But I'm praying for our body, family. I'm praying that we would learn to enter into brokenness willingly. And we would say, Lord, continue to work in my life. You know, I was at a, um, and I'll close, I was at a, uh, a meeting this past weekend. And a guy sharing, it was, it, was a deep, it was a deep subject. He said, he said, it's interesting because we, when you watch your kids grow, man, from one to five, you see these metrics. All of a sudden, they stand up. They start talking. They babble. Then they start saying words. Then, then multisyllables. Then sentences. Uh, they start thinking for themselves. You see these drastic movements. And he was like, you know, it's the same in Christianity. He was like, you grow, you, you're born again, and you see God just do these drastic things in your life. Right? He said, but something happens. He says, it's interesting. When you hit around a teenage years, and sadly, adulthood, sometimes there's many people who don't see any more incremental growth. And you find yourself coasting. And you don't even grow more. You're not reading. You're not, you're not, you're not being more human. You just kind of, you gained your set of values and your set of thinking when you were like 12. And you haven't moved from that. Say, so how many of us are like that in Christianity? You come, you stop cussing, you stop doing all this crazy stuff, 
You start, you know, everything's changed. But then all of a sudden, you just kind of same old, same old. No character change in three years. Ask the Lord, like, Lord, when's the last time that I've just seen you just do something drastic in my life? Where I say, Lord, take that and change me. This is the day where I stopped talking in a negative way to my bride. This is the day I stopped lying. Holy Spirit, work in my heart. This is the day where I ask the Holy Spirit to give me the power, and I say no to just a life of infidelity. This is the day where I take the scriptures serious and I actually get up and I, and I protect my time with the Lord. Guys, can we be a body where our trajectory never levels out? Let's be a body who's pursuing growth under the umbrella of grace. Not that you have favor with the Lord, but because he's already done it. Let's be a body that says, Lord, I want to grow. Okay? You have the environment. You have Mac groups. You have your one-on-one relationships. You have your personal devotion with the Lord. Let's go into those and let's sharpen each other, family. Let's, let's experience our goal. All right? We're going to worship. We're going to enjoy the Lord together. Uh, if you can come up, we're going to sing some songs. All right? I mean, what a great, what a beautiful this story that we get to be a part of. God has saved us. He's sanctified us. We're his children. He's done it all, and he's continually doing it in us. That's not somber. That's celebratory. That's a beautiful thing. You've been free. We can enjoy the Lord together. We can make him known in the community. Let's do that, guys. We're going to do tithe and offering right now. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're new here.